0: Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where John Negroni and Will Ashton discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. So sit back, relax, and pour one out for the two and only Cinemaholics.
1: Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCover.com. I am John Negroni from the Internet, California, and with me as always, he's a small-town critic and he hates Mondays, Will Ashton.
0: Yes, I, I'm I'm hoping there's more Garfield content in the future on this podcast. This is a good start.
1: Yeah, before we know it, our name is going to change completely. <laughs> and of course, uh, he's, he's not just our sound master. He has the tattoos to prove that he's a sound master and works with audio, uh, Maverick Hines.
2: I do. That's real. I just got one.
1: Yeah. You guys should look at my really?
2: music. Yeah. Yeah. You guys should look at my Instagram or Facebook. It's uh, it's on one of those. Yeah. If you put your earphones like right
1: against your ear, you can almost see his Yeah, tattooed. Here, I'll
2: <laughs> scratch the flakes from it. You guys will be able to see what it looks like.
1: Uh, we have a great show for you guys this week. Who wouldn't well, we'll say see. that on the podcast? We don't know yet. Uh, we have so much to get to. We're going to be reviewing the Florida Project, Happy Death Day, The Foreigner, The Myerwood Stories, New and Selected, The Babysitter, and Mindhunter. It's a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get to all of that. But uh, and we also have a special segment for you guys coming up in the middle of the show. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to be. We had a conversation with Alicia Grosso. We had an on tap segment.
2: On tap.
1: We uh, we talked to Alicia about the Harvey Weinstein scandals um, that have been just kind of dominating the headlines lately and uh, sexual assault across the board. And it was a great conversation. And she lent us, she lended us a lot of insight and uh, it's time to, it's time to get into some housekeeping. Uh, we have a correction
2: from last week's episode.
0: Oh right? yeah. I should, from I Will's
1: should,
2: yeah. Blasphemy.
0: Yeah. Think, I, yeah. Go easy. I yourself. done goofed. Uh, yeah, I, I goofed up last week. I accidentally said that, uh, I, I how you pronounce your name again on a, the, Ana de Armas. Ana de Armas. I accidentally mistaked her for her co-star in Knock Knock, and I assumed that was Eli Roth's wife when that is not actually his wife. So I apologize for that mistake. That's totally my bad. I, so, some, it, so it,
1: I, yeah. sounded right to me because I knew he was married to somebody from that movie. Yeah, and
2: yeah. that leads us to an unfortunate part of this episode where I have to mention that this is Will's last episode. He's out. Yeah. <laughs> he got he got cut. <laughs>
1: I guess sorry. Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> one and I done, get, uh, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, special thanks to you, username Special K for correcting us on the YouTube channel. If you ever notice something that we say, if we done goofed, let us know.
2: Except for me, I get a pass. I don't know anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, if Maverick says it, we just assume it's false anyway. Yeah, I'm so you sure Alex will email
2: me privately and let me know.
1: Also, so you guys may remember, we had a little bit of a, uh, a little contest. Not even a contest. It was. I don't want to. No, hold up. It was an experiment.
2: I am so. Let me pull out some statistics you keep doing your thing i'm gonna bring this up <laughs> all right well the, we I'm made, it, we to made a deal
1: with maverick Hines, uh on on air last week and uh, the idea is that he his name is not in the intro for cinemaholics because uh, john hates me well we what i've been planning to do is we're doing a totally new intro where nobody's names are mentioned it's just going to be cinemaholics and letting you know what the show's about and then we do our names in the normal intro like we always do and Maverick's like, no, I want my name in the intro. And he was being really annoying. That about That is it. not so. He was close like, close to what happened. If, if he's like, he was like, if, uh, if I think the deal was thirty-two people, thirty-two of you listeners had to let us know that you want Maverick to be in any, any way that you want, uh, Twitter, Facebook, email. We had
2: two. I had thirty-two <laughs> private messages that have since been deleted. So, <laughs> also, that is not the progress. Of, like, what actually happened was we've been in the pod. We've been doing this since February. And I said, John, I think I think I joined up in like March. What? But I mean, the podcast isn't going yeah, on, so yeah, yeah, I joined in March, and I was like, John, I think I've earned my name to be in the intro. And then you said, How about instead we cut all the names? Yeah, that was the. Pr- it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't like no, I don't want no names. I want my name. It. I wasn't like throwing a fit. I was just saying, Hey, if there's names here, I should be it. And your result was, let's just cut them all.
1: Well, we did a Twitter poll to make Maverick feel better, and unanimously. Uh, not unanimously, but an overwhelming majority of you decided, eh, screw it, no names.
2: Actually, technically, the Mavericks name should be in it did get outvoted, because you voted for screw it, have no names. Which yeah, puts I get that voice. So there are two votes on the Twitter poll for, yes, it should be in there. And I did get one private message from Joey, who is still my man. So technically, Nowhere near and enough uh, to break the uh, didn't influence. Matt comment on Matt the commented, Facebook? so that's four to two. I mean, if we're going ratios now, I think I won. The point is Maverick's name is not going to be in the intro. The point is is that you all let me down so drastically <laughs> that I may never recover from this. So so thank you. Who um. do you think you are, <laughs> listeners, to deny me this privilege? I'm just we should keep going. I'm just going to keep rambling because I'm angry.
0: Who do well, you <laughs> think
2: you are, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: All right. So we have a lot to get to. Let's get right into it. Uh, We are starting with our featured review of The Florida Project, a film that I personally have been looking forward to ever since we first saw the trailer uh, around spring. And uh, it is an American drama film directed by Sean Baker. And, you know, Sean Baker is someone who I've only seen one of his films, Tangerine great fantastic film one of the best films of 2015 and definitely uh well known for the fact that it was all shot on a smartphone uh, have you seen any of his other films well including tangerine
0: no but I think he also created Greg the Bunny like back in the day the old fox show was he was the creator
1: of that show he also was just war the ape
0: of what war in the ape oh I don't think yeah. I've heard of that show yeah i he, know uh,
1: 2010.
0: Yeah, I know there's, like, a couple of shots in The Floyd Project where you see Greg the Bunny on TV, and I was like, huh, that's an odd choice, like, for a relatively obscure, like, Fox show that, like, hasn't been on TV in, like, over a decade, and then I looked it up afterwards, and I saw it was him, so I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Nice little Easter egg. Yeah.
1: Um, But, yeah, Sean Baker is proving himself to be uh, just a very talented filmmaker. I'd love to check out some of his other films. Uh, He's been making movies for quite a bit, but... uh, Tangerine was definitely definitely, uh, a standout, uh, one that Mm -hmm. gave him a lot of attention. So the Florida Project. Uh, this film, a uh, lot of great actors in it. The premise is it's uh, set during the summer. Mooney, a precocious six-year-old girl, lives with her mother Haley in a community of extended stay motel guests in Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, this is an A24 film, and uh, it's in limited release right now. You might be able to catch it, uh, but it also uh, was screened at Cannes Film Festival, or Cannes, however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the movie stars uh, Brooklyn Kimberly Prince as the, uh, in a star-making performance, Willem Dafoe, and I mean, I'm just going to say right now, I think this, this this is probably his best performance of all time, uh, and Bria Venati, Valeria Cotto, Christopher Rivera, and Caleb Landry-Jones is popping up in this one. So, mm-hmm. starting with you, Will Ashton, what did you think of The Florida Project?
0: Well, like you, I was really excited for this one. I mean, he, like, Tangerine was a movie that just felt like kind of came out of nowhere in the best way possible. I mean, all I really knew about going in was that it was shot on iPhone. And, like, ultimately, I mean, it's on Netflix, I think, still, if you guys want to check it out. It's a really good film, like John was saying. And this one is decidedly a little bigger in scope and also, like, the fact that he shot on 35mm and it looks a lot more cinematic. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, he really stepped up his game and produced, in my opinion, one of the best dramas of the year. I mean, he, I I mean, I'm basically going to be repeating everything you said because this movie, I mean, I love how it used color. I love how... It was able to focus on these kid protagonists while never feeling too cutesy or a little too like, like, uh, trying too hard to be charming. But it's, I mean, it, it just one that hits you right in the heart. I mean, it's, that's a movie that knows exactly what it wants to be. It has the characters in mind and knows them inside and out. And it produces just a really sweet, uh, I guess more bittersweet actually drama that is going to, I think, be a pretty big crowd pleaser.
1: Uh, I, I can see that. I, and, you know you say crowd pleaser i think it is a movie that is hard to watch you know At this times, is a movie yeah. because it definitely gets to the heart of like a very underrepresented part of you know american you know, the American people, it, it is like a very uh, poverty focused thing. And it, it, it addresses certain, it, it's uncomfortable is all I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. I mean, what these kids go through and what they're doing. And there are times when you, as you mentioned, it's very charming. There are also very times where it's just heartbreaking. And I, I do think mm-hmm. it's a very sad film, but it's also like, it's a film that opens with a really happy song. And so it's, I, I really enjoyed the entire experience for that. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you all the way. And I did a little fact check. Tangerine is on Netflix. So uh, cool. worth checking out. Uh, maverick what did you think of the film
2: um i agree yeah i agree with everything you guys are saying I, I think it's it's a really cool way to tell this kind of story like you said john this you know addressing things like poverty and you know kind of seeing um this not commonly told story of people but through the lines of like of small children and like you know so you get this kind of like whimsical child childness to it but like there's still some pretty severe and intense themes going on and and i really appreciated that it was it was a really cool and unique way to tell um the story and i think every cast member did just such a fantastic job with with their role um what's her name brooklyn prince the one who played mooney she did amazing i, I mean it's it's just crazy to me that these young children are uh so good at acting and i'm like man i can't <laughs> like read lines like it's crazy so i can't uh, even get people to vote for me in a contest yeah i can't get people to want to hear my name so <laughs> but no i i just i i really really enjoyed this movie as you guys know people who've listened for a while i, I really love you know these kind of dark dramas it's it's totally right in my wheelhouse you yeah. know things that tell story and this one did it really well and i would see it again today if i could yeah
1: and, and it was funny
2: yeah i mean yeah. it had funny moments it had like john said some really really tough moments Um, you know, and what I liked about it is that it's not the most complex story in the world, you know what I mean? But there were still times where I was surprised and I was still like, oh, wow, I I didn't see that coming. And this movie Mm -hmm. was leading to that clearly the whole time. So, uh, just really well done. I I think it was a like, it was just art. It was a really good piece of art.
1: I think the last film I saw that showed the Florida, um, Florida, you know, like that, like a Florida trailer park or like Florida, like people living in motels in Florida was 99 homes. And that was one thing that I did like about that film was that uh, it properly showed you a side of that state that you usually don't get, especially in, or like, like in Orlando where Disney world is, that's a running theme here is like the tourists who come to this place. And this is one long strip with lots of touristy attractions. And you're watching the people who've slipped in the cracks and they're living there because they can make a living off of, you know tourists like Tourism. selling tourist things and scamming them. Mm-hmm. That's a very big part of this movie and it's not something you see a lot in movies about Florida. You really don't. I mean I I have a very uh special, you know, place in my heart for this film because, you know, I've lived in Florida. I've, you know, I've been there many, many times and you know, I've seen it. It it it, it was really hard for me to watch in that way and It it is something that will like, if if you don't tear up during this movie, I don't, I don't don't know. I don't know who you are yet. And we need to talk about some things. But yeah, I I love movies that show you something you've never seen before. And even as somebody who has kind of seen this stuff firsthand, I did see something that I've never seen before, mostly through uh, just the relationships between uh, Mooney and her mother in this movie, her friends, like, there aren't a lot of movies in existence that like capture friendship between kids uh the way that this movie does Um, and for that reason i I adore this movie i think it's fantastic Uh, i agree with you will it's it's one of the best dramas of the year and uh it it could be my favorite drama of the year right uh as it stands to giving it some thought but yeah uh was there anything you else you wanted to mention about the movie will
0: well, I don't really know how to address it, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the ending because I feel like similar to Ninety Nine Homes, this might be a kind of controversial ending. Hmm. Um. I
1: have some theories on the ending. Uh, for me, it worked a lot, and uh, I, I have some. We could talk about it maybe <laughs> in a in a spoilery section some other time. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I was just kind of curious if you found its approach. Um. Uh, you know, appropriate or meaningful or if you just kind of found it like uh, a little too ambiguous to a fault. I could see some people not really digging the fact that it just kind of ends on this like odd note, but I could also see some people taking it for what it is and seeing it as, you know, kind of hopeful goodbye, so. I found it uh, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm trying to figure out a way to talk about what I was going to say, but like, uh, I find also very interesting that When you think of Florida, you usually just think of, like, Disney World. And that the idea that uh, this movie is kind of like when movies focus on people that, like, live on the beach but don't always spend their time on the beach. Like, they always mention Disney. It's, like, a very present thing, but it's rarely ever seen. It's always something that's, like, in the deep background that's, like, kind of lingering but not really present, which I found really interesting.
1: Yeah, like, they do a good job to show you that Orlando is, like, in a swamp, basically. Right. And it's not, like, this amazing, like – the difference uh, between Disney World and Kissimmee, Florida, is yeah. stark, <laughs> and it's that alone is depressing. But the way that they show it through like daylight and happy tones, and like yeah. it, it, it does it is a very jarring thing. It's a small world, but not a magical one. It's a small world. That's the tagline, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it should be. Um, anything else to add,
2: Maverick? Before we do final thoughts? No, I mean nothing that isn't echoing what you guys have already said. I think it was it was a great movie, and yeah. I really enjoyed it.
1: Easy, easy one to recommend. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that uh, everything from the cinematography to uh, the writing and the performances, uh, this is one we're going to see in come Oscar season without a doubt, uh, unless a slew of like even more impressive films somehow come out in the next couple it's of months. Possible. It's not impossible. It's happened
0: before. Yeah. Yeah? Is um, Willem yeah. Dafoe the frontrunner for Best Supporting Actor right now? Um, good question. I, I'm wondering who else could be in that position, because I can't think of anyone on top of my head.
1: It's a good way to tease our upcoming Oscar bait breakdown episode, oh which we're going to be doing uh, later in Oscar season. So keep your ears peeled for that. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to do our own personal picks and all that fun stuff. But for now, I would say that Willem Dafoe absolutely is a front runner. Uh, and Brooklyn if Brooklyn Prince, uh, she should absolutely be a front runner for, if not best supporting actress, uh, best actress. Uh, you know. I wish yeah. there was an Oscar for best ensemble.
0: I was going to say, I think... For whatever reason, like, anytime it's a kid, they always put a supporting actress, because for whatever reason, the kid, I guess, can't be a main actor to the Academy. But so, she carries the film, you know? Right, and no, it's, exa- it, it's totally yeah. her movie. I just, for whatever reason, when they nominate these things, a kid, no matter how big of a role, that they're always supporting for whatever reason. Well,
1: there was, yeah, there was uh, Abraham Mata and *Beast of No Nation was, yeah. I think, the last instance of this, and uh, uh, what I forget her name. The girl who was in Annie, and she was in *Beast of the Southern Wild. Uh, she, I think Waltz? she was- Yeah, yeah. I think she was best supporting actress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or was she? I'm trying to remember. I believe.
1: I thought she was. Uh, That that was a bit. That was a while back, but uh, do a little fact check. But okay. Uh, uh, Final thoughts. uh, Will, can you. Yeah. Final thoughts and grade for Florida Project?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel bad because we're just kind of echoing our thoughts over and over. But this is a film that, I mean, I just see. I find a hard time believing anyone's not really going to connect this movie in some way or another. I mean, it's just so heartfelt and honest and beautiful in its own kind of weird, tacky sort of way. Tacky meaning like the movie has a lot of bright colors that I find not only visually interesting, but also kind of funny in an odd quirky sort of way. Uh Yeah, I mean, there's so much you can praise about this film. I just don't want to spoil it for anyone. So just go check it out. You're definitely going to get your money's worth. And also, I just want to say, like, I noticed a lot of people describing them as like non-actors. Like that, Sean Baker works with a lot of non actors, but I think it would be more fair to say inexperienced actors, just because I feel like sure non actors just implies that they're not actually actors, but these they're actors. I mean, it's it's fair it's unfair to say otherwise. So I that's one. The to get only experienced actors
1: well. here are Willem Dafoe and Cameron right. Andrew Jones, yeah. and uh, the the performance that he brings out, not just the kids, but Bria Venati, who plays uh, Mooney's mother, mm-hmm. does an an amazing job, and sh- this is like. I, I think this might be like one of her first
2: movies. I was just reading about her. Apparently, she got her start like she got noticed on Instagram. She was like an Instagram model selling her own clothing line. It wasn't a swimsuit like, selfie, was it? No, <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> that, I could be wrong on that, but that's a common common thing I'm seeing online about. Um, what was her name? Bria. Bria Vinazzi. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She did great. Yeah, and I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but
2: that's why I had you pronounce it because
1: I, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, how to yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and what was your grade, Will?
0: Oh, yeah, A minus.
1: All right, uh, yeah, uh, echoing a lot of your thoughts as well. I think that I, this is one of those movies that I walked out of, and I was immediately just unpacking it. it, it it's such an easy movie to get, you know. It, it's it is kind of simple on its surface, but at, at the same time, I mean, there were so many, there was so much going on there. There, there was so much great symbolism. There, was, it was such a great narrative. It's a movie full of these little moments and these scenes that, like, just you can't shake off immediately. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just, we don't get movies like this quite as often, uh, I think, that, you know, and it does kind of look like, like, one movie that I immediately thought of was Sunshine Cleaning, uh, it was what, it was a, kind of like the that indie... Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I see that, yeah. kind of beckoned back to that one, and... Uh, it, it is like a, this is this is a great example of an indie darling, but at the same time, I think that it's a film where the performances are so good. I mean, Willem Dafoe, I, I just, it, because every performance is just so expert level here and the direction clearly brought out the best in all these actors, I give it an
2: A. Nice. Cool. Uh, yeah, I I, I I, mean, we've been echoing each other all day, so I'll try to say something <laughs> <laughs> original here, but this movie was. Um, it was just simply beautiful. It, it was really cool because, you know, John, you have some experience in, in this area of Florida. You've, you know, you've lived close. I've, I've never even been to Florida as a state, but it was cool because I now walked Yeah, you out, have. I Well, that's what I was going to say, I, I feel like walking out of the movie that I understand, I at least kind of understand that area better now. You know, I, I don't have any personal experience, but like, I feel like that was a really, unique and accurate way to depict a part of the country that i had no idea about and, and i really appreciated that on top of the fact that almost every or not almost every every person in this movie did a fantastic job with their role um so i'm, I'm gonna agree with you guys um, i'm i'm an a minus as well nice all
1: right well that's a a minus average uh pretty good for us cinemaholics i mean just last yeah. week we we did the same so it's been a, co- a good couple of weeks you know but okay let's uh let's get into our <laughs> second that. film wait uh-huh. what
0: I was going to say, with that said, let's talk about our next films.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What is the next one? (laughs) Well, Happy Death Day. Son of a... (laughs) (laughs) Happy Death Day. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. You have no idea. All right. So this is a slasher film from Christopher B. Landon, uh, written by Scott Lobdell, and uh, it stars Jessica Roth and Israel Broussard. Uh, So this is a Blumhouse Productions. It was produced by Jason Blum. And uh, the summary is Tree... Uh, <laughs> her last name is funny to me. Tree Gelbman wakes up again and again on the same day, her birthday, only to be murdered and restart the process until she finds out who killed her. So this is a lean hour and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and going into this movie, it, so far it's been pretty successful. Um, you know, it at was a one, low budget box. film. Yeah. Number one at the box office, low budget of $4.8 It's already made thirty one um so big success for blumhouse and this movie came out on my birthday friday the 13th and happy
2: birthday john happy thanks
1: and i just we had to watch it for my birthday because obviously
0: go short (laughs) that song is um, not in the movie by the way it
1: is not the the trailers are just are evil um and uh, i think the most common thing i've heard about this movie is it's groundhog day meets scream will ashton is that accurate what did you think of the movie
0: Groundhog Day meets Scream, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking more Groundhog Day meets Final Destination, I guess, just because of all the depth.
1: I've heard that too, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess, like you, I was really looking forward to this one, probably against my better judgment, just because I do really love, like, that Groundhog Day premise when it's done well. Uh, We've only really seen two movies before this that have done it with any real success, those being, obviously, Groundhog Day, like we said, and Edge of Tomorrow. And so, I mean, Christopher Landon's a director who has, in my opinion, one hit and one miss. He made Paranormal Activity, the Mark ones, which is, in my opinion, probably the most underrated of all the Paranormal Activity movies. I feel 100% like a lot people, agree. A lot of people write it off, I guess, because it's like the fifth one. And it's a spinoff. But I think it's really effective at just making like... Well, for one, it shows, like, a different perspective than we're used to seeing in not only the Paranormal Activity movies, but just in horror movies in general. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, it has likable characters, which is something the Paranormal Activity movies do not excel in. Uh, (laughs) And then, um, but then he also made another movie called Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which is a film that could have been fun, but was ultimately just a disappointment all around. So, was Happy Death Day a surprise success or happy or... Happy disappointment. Uh, was it a surprise <laughs> success or just a straight disappointment? Um, I would say somewhere in the middle for me. I, I, I never felt like it was as good as it could have been, but at the same time, I never thought it was as bad as it could have been. So, I don't know. I mean, I think what really made this movie work for me was Jessica Roth because like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray and Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, we have this kind of versatile, uh, really kind of just... I mean, at first she's not a likable character, and then we kind of grow to understand her and sympathize with her and then ultimately like her in a kind of sweet way. So, I mean, she really has this expressive kind of uh, buoyantism to her that really kind of helps you get al- go along with this kind of absurdist premise. But, I mean, I, I thought the movie was funny at times, but never quite as funny as I was hoping it would be, and it really isn't that scary because I guess... Because it's PG-13, you don't really get to see a lot of the blood and gore that you'd probably expect from this premise. But at the same time, I feel like not having that blood and gore would also prevent the film from fetishizing fetishizing the death to the point where it's just like watching all these terrible ways that she could die, like the Final Destination film. So, I don't know. I'm kind of half and half with this film. Where are you standing on it, John?
2: Who oh
1: boy.
0: Oh,
2: I was so ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I want to say... This movie
1: is going to lead to a lot of roles for Jessica Roth. Right? I hope without so. a doubt, it, it is going to. She like, was also she's... in
0: Lola Land. We should mention she was one of Emma Stone's roommates. That's probably where people know her best. They know her at all.
1: Oh yeah. If there's one thing I remember about that movie is yeah. the roommates.
0: <laughs> the roommates. She was the one with the green dress. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Who <mom>. could forget?
1: <laughs> uh, but no, I mean she's she proved that she can lead a film. And uh, but Maverick, uh, you look like you have you have something you want to say about Happy Death Day can we tag team this
2: yeah happy death day my and (laughs) it's hard for me to say this listen to my full statement don't react to my initial reacting this might be the worst movie i've ever seen
1: and i loved it (laughs) it's the worst best movie i've seen in a
2: while well john and i talked about this a lot leaving and it's like it was one of those movies where the best worst yeah where it was like it was so bad that it was a comedy (laughs) <laughs> like, Will, you
1: said that you didn't think it was all that funny, and it wasn't really scary. I don't think it was scary at all, but I thought it was hysterical.
0: It
2: was, his, you know like how, like...
1: intentionally we,
0: hysterical or unintentional? No, Not no. Not intentionally. This no, no. This was
2: so bad, it's good. You know how, like, in Transformers, him. we all laughed at that point where Mark Wahlberg, like, did his ballerina tour, like, and yeah. threw the sword or whatever? This, this was that 96 it, it was an hour and a half of that moment. Like, <laughs> okay. it was just ridiculously, like one thing that drove me crazy and you know i always find one thing that like i nitpick way too much there are a few things in this one but she was hammering in a screw <laughs> at one point and i lost my mind like i talked about that for like 20 minutes but he's like it's... he's
1: like calling people after the yeah. movie like did
2: you know this yeah i booked a session with my therapist i was like i need to talk <laughs> like this is too much for me
0: right now sorry what will but I was just gonna say I think that's kind of the point though, right I mean, the film is not going for the serious tone I mean stuff like that I felt was intentional it doesn't take itself seriously
1: but I don't think that we should look at this film and try to say that it was purposely being funny. I think it was, no, it was purposely being funny, I don't think so. I think it was purposely being cloying it was it had all of these raw raw empowerment moments of like and all of these <laughs> like diatribes and like <laughs> her like realizing who she is and this terrible dialogue that stuff. Proved oh, yeah, to no. me that the movie did take itself a bit seriously. Yeah.
0: Oh okay? yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with those moments. I'm, but I'm saying, I'm, as a film, I think the film is not taking itself seriously at all. I
1: I, mean. I just I don't I don't see that because like this is a movie that like it it po- it does poke a little bit of fun of itself, but the one time it does that and it, it happens toward the ending. Like they play it off as like the first joke of the movie almost. And like I think that it does the reason I don't think I don't think it's being purposely funny is because there are moments when they are clearly trying to make a joke and those are the worst parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah. The best parts of the movie are like parts where like characters are just yelling things that make no sense and like things are just <laughs> happening that are like clearly supposed like, to be played for tension.
2: I'm cycling over these moments in my head right now and I'm just like it's it's, I'm laughing I'm that's excited. why it reminds me
1: of scream though because like I, I disagree with the final destination thing because final destination is like these people are dying through like because they have to die in like these happenstance ways this is just like a serial killer and it's like a who done it sure, right I the can. whole point is like she's trying to figure out who did it and I I do see like some of the jokes to that expense are a little bit like they're I guess they're not trying to play it as a scary movie maybe they're trying to play it as like a breezy teen slasher flick that is a bit self-aware but i don't think i don't think it goes either direction very
0: hard i don't know but i guess i still disagree with that though i think it is going for that direction and i also like that this film does like i mean it doesn't really necessarily explain why is this happening but it does suggest that there's consequences for it happening i can't really say in full what i mean by that because that would get in this kind of spoilery territory but i feel like most of these films just kind of accept you or expect you to Except the general premise, and this one has a little more fun with what would happen if that was happening to someone. Which I mean, I guess I, I'll give him props for at least trying something a little different with that regard.
1: I think I think where we agree here is that I was Jessica never, Roth. I was never bored.
0: Sure, yeah, in, in I the agree
1: slightest.
2: With that. I was yeah. surprised that I wasn't because once I realized, like twenty minutes in the movie, I was like, "Oh, this is the kind of movie we're watching right now." I was like, "Okay, so here comes the part where I don't care anymore." And like I was in it the whole time, laughing most of it. But I would like I was in it. <laughs> I mean, this is this is one of the most
1: quotable movies. I just there are so many lines, and I don't want to throw them out right now because I I think it's the kind of movie I do actually recommend because it's PG thirteen. I'm glad it's PG thirteen for sure because I think Will you touched on it really well where it's like it doesn't fetishize like brutal violence against a woman. I think if it was R, that would have been really gross mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. Here, it's just you know it's played in a way that's. You know, it's PG 13. It's it's quick and it's easy. And, like, the point isn't her death being gruesome. The point is that she has to figure out who's doing this. And that's the right, right way to go with the movie. But again, it's a bad movie. Yeah. Like, it has terrible dialogue. It has some really bad production value. But it's it's so campy that you don't really yeah, care. Yeah, no, I was just and about
0: to say, I think the campiness is intentional. And if it's not, then I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if director Christopher Landon was in the room with us, and you were saying all these things. He would go be like, "Yeah, that's like the point." I'd be like, so, "You're full of yourself." <laughs> sure, <okay. laughs> I, don't, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know. If, I judgment. mean, I don't know what he sounds like in person, but I mean, like, you guys are kind of selling it as if this was like Bird Birdemic or the Room or something, where the director had no idea what they were doing and it kind of became a secret success. I feel like, and,
1: uh, yeah, I don't want to give that impression because that's not where we're going with it. Okay. I think that the movie does try to be like a certain type of movie. I don't think it succeeds at that, but I do think it is unintentionally hilarious at certain parts. For sure. Oh, I mean, I, there's
0: I, one I death. Involving a window that's hysterical. And I think the way exactly you guys are talking about. Do you know which one I'm talking about?
2: hmm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was we, great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think suffice it to say, this is... Uh, it, for teenagers, for like... It, it's no Tucker and Dale versus evil, I guess is what I'm saying. That well, is a, a movie that is purposely like that. being funny, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is like a worse version of that, but still pretty fun to watch and like this is the kind of movie i i would love to watch with some friends and i did i watching with friends at a theater laughing like crazy it's not it, it wasn't a movie that got a lot of crowd reaction over the course like they were people in our theater were expecting like a scary movie like they were ready to like yell at the screen yeah and was everybody quiet. was quiet the entire time except for me and maverick
2: we were losing our <laughs> mind i was laughing way too much like i had to stop yeah. myself
1: because we were the only ones laughing but maybe and there honestly
2: i expected more because before the movie started i'd say the theater was 99 percent like 14 year olds they were talking yeah, about say, during the my, previews it yeah. was like insane yeah. <laughs> and the movie got on and i didn't hear them for the rest of the hour and <laughs> like they stopped in their tracks because I think a lot of people were I mean I was expecting or, like, because I didn't see the preview I, John was like oh it's you know chronic.
0: you saw the previews they showed it to us a lot in, like, yeah the I don't know how you there. could avoid the marketing for this movie well I don't it remember everywhere
1: <laughs> you
0: don't remember it's like dun dun go shorty
1: dun, dun, it should be like break that break ringtone and the... You did. You saw this. I don't remember it. Why is that well, song
0: not in the movie? It really bummed me out that that song is not in the <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, they replaced
1: it with a terrible... A probably a uh, licensing and they could use it for the trailer and not yeah, pay a lot of money, but sure. for the movie. Yeah.
0: It just That is misadvertising, if ever there was adver- misadvertising. In this is song.
1: that your hammer and the screw moment? Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. No,
0: my, no, no. My, I just, it, it was more like an annoyance than like, uh, like anything else. I think that's what, I mean, I think it was a Maverick yeah. saying.
1: My, my hammer and the screw moment (laughs) hammering the screw screw moment was easily the what is breakfast line um that's all i'll give away yeah that that that's that's it that's that's all
2: it's one of my favorite moments of this year also there was a moment
0: oh i know what you're talking about now yeah yeah yeah.
2: (laughs)
1: we should we should just close this out because i'm going to keep giving away plot details what was the moment you were just going to tell about we'll talk about it we'll talk about uh all right maverick hines final thoughts and grade I don't know what to grade this movie because <laughs> <And> like
2: incomplete <laughs> yeah kind of though Question because, like, mark. <laughs> I I think as a movie it's probably like like an F minus but like for how much I loved it I don't know I, I guess factors in yeah I really don't I'm gonna give it a, a D plus wow. C minus I don't know somewhere in there okay um, I
1: <laughs> I I'm I get where you're coming from. It's like a question mark plus. Uh, yeah, I think that it's not that bad of a movie. The fact that it does keep you entertained. I would not re-watch this movie anytime soon. Maybe in a few years or something when I can actually like... Well, what I would... You
2: know. Sorry, let me... What I would say is like, I think this would be a totally fun movie to like... If you're having like a Halloween party or like a Friday the 13th party, you invite a bunch of people over and like you're just kind of goofing off and half watching a movie. Like this is a total like... Yes, just, like you know people chilling on a couch having like a fun
0: time kind or like, like a movie you put on the background yeah. like during. Halloween yeah for party. sure so yeah i i give
1: the movie a c plus I, I think that's what the c plus grade is for it's just like movies that are entertainingly mediocre and uh they do it does the bare minimum in terms of like being a cohesive movie and like will said like doing newer things with the groundhog's day formula they do they do and it, i i think it's a movie we're checking out in the theater honestly i think you might hate it but you might also enjoy it a lot what about you will
0: Yeah, I guess I'm not quite as uh, negative on it as you guys are. I mean, I I agree that the movie is, as you said, kind of entertainingly mediocre. But I do think what the director was going for was this kind of lighthearted tone that you guys are talking about. So I'm going to give it a B minus. I had a good time with this one, and I think the director did what he was supposed to do with it. So not as good as it could have been, but certainly not as bad as it could have been either. So yeah, a healthy B minus.
1: All right. Well, they all can't be the Florida Project. Let's. No, they cannot.
0: uh, (laughs) All right. Let's get into. But were you expecting the Florida project from a movie called Happy Death Day? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Will I
2: have optimism? Were you not actually? Uh, I choose to believe in people. Will, yeah. Uh, before we get into
1: the Foreigner, uh, that is our third like medium review. Before we do our minis, um, big news, guys! Just dropped off the presses. Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner are engaged.
2: Did you really just do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I didn't even know they were dating. Is that a real Wait, thing, Joe Jonas, just, and who? Did we just stop? Sophie Hawks Turner to talk about Joe Jonas, Sansa Stark from Game of the Thrones. Yeah, huh. don't you ever? I know. So
0: <laughs> how <laughs> dare you? Who do you think you no, are? No, I I was trying to figure out who it was. I missed the name, so Sophie Turner. It, it just yeah. threw me off for a loop. Like you were just talking. I thought it was going to be like, hey, we're going to have a new platform or like whatever, and then you just drop <laughs> yeah. this like Big relationship gossip.
2: That should be the one and only time saying, we ever say Joe Jonas on the podcast. It's just
1: weird to me. It's like saying like Justin Bieber's engaged to Maisie Williams. Like what, what do they do they even know each other? I, I'm sorry. I I just had to bring it up. I, we
2: should just yeah. use that for our on tap this week. I mean, that's that's important <laughs> stuff.
0: This called um Alicia, again, just like, I know we had a serious discussion, but what do you think about this Joe Jonas news?
1: (laughs) We need
2: the scoop.
0: (laughs) All right, let's talk about the foreigner. Shall Uh, we move
2: on and pretend that didn't just happen?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm going to do that, yes. Um, okay. The Foreigner is a new action thriller film directed by Martin Campbell and written by David Morcone. Uh, it's actually based on the novel The Chinaman by Stephen Leather. And clearly they changed the name for, yeah, reasons for good reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a British Chinese co-production. Uh, it stars Jackie Chan, Pierce Brosnan, Charlie Murphy, Michael McAlton, Orla Brady, Tia Litao, and Katie Luong, And uh, it's, uh, it's it's doing well overseas. It's so far grossed over $100 million. Um, But, you know, it's getting kind of mixed reviews right now. Uh, I don't think it's doing super well in the U.S., but it had a very low budget, so it's it's definitely a successful movie so far. And uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about this one with you guys in particular because Martin Campbell directed my favorite film of all time and cool. a couple other films that I really love. Uh, he directed The Mask of Zorro, my favorite film. Really? And I is know that your people, favorite film? That is a
0: favorite film. We've talked about it as well. We, we, I don't think We have. Honestly. Not I thought the Toy Mas- Story was your favorite film. No, you'd
1: think like, that 'cause you would think that because you do not really know. No,
0: no, 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 I thought that's what it was. I thought I thought that's what you said in your book.
1: Um I said it's one of my favorite. It's okay. it's one of my favorite it's definitely my favorite Pixar film. Um okay. but no, Fair Mask of Zora is my favorite film of all time. And uh I, I like the sequel. Uh he also directed that. It's not that great though. His last great film was Casino Real, uh, one of the best James Bond films of all time. He also directed Goldeneye, the best Pierce Brosnan film, I would say. And uh, he's only made one movie that I think is really bad, and that's Green Lantern, <laughs> which so, is terrible. It's pretty bad. He, he's done some other films as well, but uh, those are the those are definitely the the highlights. But anyway, Martin Campbell trivia aside. Uh, the movie itself is about, and this is the IMDb synopsis, a humble businessman with a buried past seeks justice when his daughter is killed in an act of terrorism. A cat and mouse conflict ensues with a government official whose past may hold clues to the killer's identities. Will Ashton, starting with you, uh, you know, first of all, where, where, are you a big Jackie Chan fan and Pierce Brosnan fan? How did, how did you go in this movie and uh, what'd you think?
0: Oh man, you know I'm a big Jackie Chan fan. Jackie Chan is one of my favorite people on the planet Earth. He is just a marvelous man filled with so many talents and determination. And I mean, he is probably one of the most charismatic people on the planet, too. So, like, the fact that he intentionally kind of stripped that away from him for this very kind of serious, thoughtful performance. It reminded me a lot of uh, a movie I talked about already on the podcast called Aftermath from earlier this year with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he intentionally kind of doesn't go or he plays against type for someone that's a little more thoughtful and um internal and i would say if this movie has any silver linings it's definitely him and his performance uh i will say that one thing that kind of struck me is that it did feel like a performance like i never really felt like he was just embodying a different person i just felt like he was acting the whole time but i don't want to let
1: you finish that sentence because it's so wrong but go ahead you
0: well go ahead go ahead say what you need to say
1: no no i want you to finish your thing
0: okay but overall, I found this movie, I mean, after the beginning, I found it just to be kind of a drab, uh, disposable kind of action thriller, which, I don't know, after a point, I'd, I had trouble kind of keeping with it because I just didn't really feel like there was anything about it that I haven't seen elsewhere. And I mean, I thought, like I said, Jackie Chan did a nice job. Uh, Pierce Brosnan is good as always, but I kind of just walked out of it like, yeah, that was two hours of my life spent. What, what so we can he, go ahead, Beth. I, yeah, go ahead. You disagree with me on this one.
2: You know, to make I, I'm trying really hard, Will. I'm trying okay. really hard to give you the benefit of the doubt because you have never been more wrong. Okay. Oh, I'm just really. kidding. That's not true. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, I, I, I can understand how you know you're, you're saying that. You, This is not something that's new, right? You know, this, you've seen this before and, and that's, that's true to an extent, right? I I agree with you. That's why it's not an A movie. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not Florida project. It's not, you know, groundbreaking. It didn't torment me, but I will say I, I really, really enjoyed this film. I had a lot of fun. I think this is a great example of like the trailer told me a story. I saw that story in the movie. It was exactly what I expected and I loved every minute of it. It It was fun. Um, I think this is some of like, Jackie Chan's best fight scenes that I've seen, and that's that's a big like ever thing to say. like at sixty. <laughs> well, I just mean like in the fact that well, know, they were scenes,
1: yeah. You know, they were tied to the movie. They weren't just like here he is doing these like obviously choreographed crazy stunts. Yeah, okay. and what yeah, I appreciate I can get, about I can them, get behind that,
2: and I think John, we we talked about this a little bit afterwards too, was that the fight scenes. I don't know, they just seemed more realistic than than what I've seen him do before, which I which I really liked. It kind of had this like like I believe that's how like a man with Jackie Chan's past in, in or with uh what's his name Kwan? Yeah. Is that yeah. his character? With Kwan's past in the... like that's I believe that's how a person in his situation would fight. Like uh, it just seemed real to me and I and I appreciated that. And the action was good. You know, it wasn't like the most complex story in the world, but it was still really entertaining. I was never bored and like I don't know, it just like I I I thought I was going to see a movie I saw what I was expecting and I enjoyed it.
1: I you know what? I want to jump on something here cuz the fact that like I think we can agree that like we've seen movies like this before. For sure. With this kind of like, you know, complicated political thriller plot, which is what it is. It's not a full on revenge thriller. It is a Jackie Chan plays a guy who terrorizes a group of people in order to get information while this more complicated plot is going on in the background. And that's really the thrust of the movie. I have seen that in other movies before. I've seen it in movies though that are, do a worse job at it that aren't as fun to watch. And I think the fact that Jackie Chan brings the movie to life and adds an element to it, that I I think what he does here makes the movie more special uh, than the, than I think the, the individual threads. I really, I I honestly, I really dug the conflict between the British here, the Irish, the IRA. Mm -hmm. It was something that just felt well realized. And like you were talking Will about how like the reason you like happy death day is because you know, Landon was—he was doing something he was intending to do, and that—that's what I respect about the Foreigner is that you get exactly what you want out of it. Now, is it a profound movie that's going to change your worldview? And no, it's—it's it's a theater movie. It is a like, it is a movie you can sit down and just take in, have a great time. It's if there was one thing that I could say that did bug me about it was it was a little bleak, and I, I do a little bleak. It, A little too bleak, I should say. Like, yeah, it's bleak. It's a little too bleak at times. And I wish that there had been something a little bit more, a little bit more energy in certain parts of it. I think that's all super fair to say. But I, I mean, we've kind of touched on it. I think Jackie Chan has some great scenes here. I think Pierce Brosnan does such a good job of just like being this evil, good, bad guy and like you never quite know where the movie is headed what's going to happen next and it was just a good time it, it, it did to me it didn't feel like two hours it felt leaner than that and uh, i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed jackie chan here i think that you know something that should be pointed out is that jackie chan has been one of the reasons he hasn't done a lot of films in a while is because unfortunately like he's not getting those roles uh, hollywood has been kind of shutting him out he did this interview with uh, i think uh, edgar wright where he was saying, oh yeah, like, the Talk
0: House—that's a great yeah, yeah. He was saying
2: interview.
1: like, he was saying that like, I I want to do more serious roles. I I want to do movies, you know, like this. And Hollywood just hasn't been giving them those chances. Like they don't have faith in him. And I think this is the beginning of something great for this actor, and it shows his chops. I think calling it chalking it up to a performance, I could not disagree with you anymore, Will. I I think Jackie Chan is he disappears completely. What he's doing with this character, his like stoic face, like. The, this entire movie and like the physicality of it, he's doing amazing work here. He demit, he deserves a lot of respect for what he's doing here. And I just, I absolutely praise him in this. Even if the movie doesn't come together quite as, uh, even the movie doesn't feel like quite the catharsis that you might want, the way that it sets it up, uh, it's still an entertaining movie. And I got, I had so much fun with it. I, I had a great time.
0: Well, I wish I had that same amount of fun as you guys did. I guess like you were saying though, I I don't really see it as really being that entertaining because to me it was mostly a drama with action beats in it. And like what the film is going for is something very, you know, serious and thoughtful which, I mean, isn't a bad thing per se but I don't think that necessarily makes it a fun watch. And I mean, I will go with this. I mean, I have nothing against Jackie Chan. I mean, obviously I love the guy and I think his performance is good. I don't mean to have a slight against him, but what you're talking about, though, he exhibited all those things already in the Karate Kid remake, a film that was, in my opinion, that was when he really showed to American audiences that he can be a dramatic actor, or, like we said in that podcast, an actor who fights as opposed to a fighter who acts. Which, and, to be fair, that movie was seven years ago. Okay, but it's not like, well, yeah, I guess it was 2010. I mean, it's it my point though is that this isn't like the first time we've seen serious Jackie. I mean, no, we've of seen him not. do that before, and I don't think that. That alone is what makes the film good. I mean, I think he's perfectly fine. I think he does a very thoughtful performance. I think he really put his all into this in a way that I think, especially as the film went along, I agree with you that I think he started to disappear more and more. But I don't know. I guess like if I was looking at this as an action film, the action beats are pretty far apart. And I mean, I do like like Maverick was saying that the action was fairly grounded and realistic, especially for someone like Jackie Chan, who can basically do anything. Well, maybe not as much anymore, but at the time he could basically pull off any kind of stunt. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm bummed because I want to be right there with you guys, but at the same time, I just did not have that enthusiasm for the film. I just it kinda sounds to
1: it. me then, cause, cause I think that, yeah, the distinction is, I think it was an action thriller. It seems you were looking for like an action or you saw it as an action drama with not enough action beats but I, I think the thing that well, i liked about the movie that made it fun for me to watch was how jackie chan just becomes this like persistent kind of dad who like does these amazing stunts and like the the uh, the ingenuity of how he terrorizes these people these people was so much more interesting to me than the action beats and i think that's why i was more entertained than you were
0: Actually, I mean, I haven't seen any trailers or anything before this. So based on what I heard from that podcast, I actually thought it was just going to be a straight drama with like one or two action beats in it. I didn't really expect it to be as much of an action thriller as it ended up being. So I think the fact that it was like, I mean, once I saw the film as what I was trying to do, I was like, okay, so if it is going to be like an action film, like I I guess you got to pull me a little more in one way or the other. And I felt like the film was ultimately kind of mediocre to a fault.
1: See, I, I, yeah, agree to disagree. I, I yeah. think I can look at so many moments that I, that weren't like anything I've seen before. There's a scene involving a uh, a SWAT team and a break in and a group of people and Jackie Chan like infiltrating, and that scene to me was like uh, just poetry. It was so well done and like it was so high octane and it was it to me it was doing kind of the Taken thing, and uh, I I like this movie about as much as I like the first Taken. I thought it was a very surprising uh, action you know, I like just put it further, like a cat and mouse game. Right. And, yeah. uh, that, that's what I enjoyed about it. And, uh, yeah, I can, I guess I can see like, you know, going into the movie with different expectations or, uh, just having a sort of, uh, I, I guess it just depends on like what you enjoy out of these kinds of films, but, uh, Maverick, you've been quiet. Yeah. I just
2: feel like you're, I'm just trying not to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I mean, I, like I, like I said before, I, I agree with you, John. I, I just, I think this was I've already said it, you know, I, I, I went in expecting this movie and I got what I was wanting and that just made me really happy and I, I wasn't bored with it. I was, um, also like just props to Jackie Chan for being, you know, a thousand years old and still like kicking people. 61. Butt. Yeah.
0: yeah same so thing. Like 61. Give him some <laughs> credit.
1: <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> uh, we can cut that as your final thoughts and, uh, anything to add in grade.
2: No, that was good. Uh, my grade would be B plus. Awesome.
0: Uh, what about you all? Yeah, I guess, I don't know, like I said, I'm really bummed that I am not in agreement with you guys. I just didn't quite find it as captivating or as thrilling as you guys did. I mean, it's if we're looking at it exclusively as a vehicle for Jackie Chan to do something more mature and thematically compelling, then sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely a good role for him, and I think he makes the most of it. I just wish that The film itself was more interesting or a little more dense in some way or another, at least or at least just a little more original, I guess. So so for me, it's like a tepid C plus, although I will say, I mean, Jackie, please, by all means, keep doing more dramatic stuff like this. I think you have a knack for it. And we all want that. I, I mean, just in general, I think Jackie Chan should be in every film ever made. So, if if he can just be in more stuff, that's great.
2: Imagine Jackie Channing the Florida Project.
0: Oh, that'd be amazing. Like, as <laughs> yeah. one of the residents or something. That'd be awesome. Ah. The, the assistant manager, maybe? Yeah, Fighting the pedophile guy. That'd
1: be amazing. <laughs> he just, so.
2: just beats the living hell out of him. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think, I think we just disagree on fundamental things here. Um, no issue with that. I, I just think that it is interesting. And I think that it is, like a movie that does things I haven't really seen before. And even when it does things I've seen before, it does them so well that, uh, you know, it, it shines out on its own for me. Uh, I really dug this film. You know, I, I've been wavering between B and B plus, you know, I I think I'm going to go with my gut and say it's a B plus here. I, I, I do think like, yeah, it's not the most profound, amazing. I don't think it's like all that captivating, but for what it sets out to do, I, there are enough scenes in here that like took me by surprise that, I, I dug it like crazy and uh, I recommend it to anybody who is a fan of Jackie Chan. I think you'll get something out of it and, and a fan of Pierce Brosnan and, uh, you know, just Martin Campbell's filmography in general. Uh, definitely worth checking out in my opinion, but okay. That's the foreigner. Um, that'll do it for our, our triple threat this week. <laughs> uh, when we come back, we are going to do our mini reviews for a couple of things and then that'll be the show. So, uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. On October 5th, the New York Times published a report alleging that Harvey Weinstein, known as one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood and also the co-founder of Miramax, has been using his power and influence in the entertainment industry to sexually harass women for... At least 30 years. Three days after this report came out, Weinstein was fired by his own company, and that only led to more allegations coming out against him. The New York Times followed this up with a new report detailing even more accounts of harassment as well as cases involving abuse and rape. An audio recording, which is very difficult to listen to, was included in the report, and it exposes... What is now irrefutable, it's an instance of Weinstein harassing an actress in the middle of a hotel and admitting on tape that he had grabbed her breasts and he said, quote, I won't do it again. So the account of the audio recording matches almost perfectly with the same complaints lobbed against Weinstein for years, decades, and how he persists uh, on his advances using phrases like I'm used to this and everyone does it. Since then, even more actresses, uh, high-profile actresses as well like Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie have come forward and shared their own stories of how Weinstein harassed them, offered opportunities coercing them into inappropriate contact, and the Weinstein story notably has grabbed national attention at this point, but it's only one of the more recent dominoes coming down in similar cases of sexual harassment in the entertainment industry. Harry Knowles, a very well-known film critic from Anna Cool News and co-founder of Fantastic Fest, he was actually removed from the the Austin Film Critics Association uh, just this past September after allegations of sexual assault. Uh, Andy Signor, the co-founder of Screen Junkies, and you know, to be perfectly frank, someone I've personally collaborated with. Uh, He was fired by Defy Media after just a flood of abuse accusations that went public. And there are plenty more examples, unfortunately. For On Tap this week, I am speaking with Alicia Grosso, editor at large and movie pilot and a previous guest on Cinemaholics. Alicia, welcome back and thanks for coming on the show this week to talk about what is frankly a very uncomfortable subject.
3: Thanks. Thank you for having me.
1: So the first thing I want to ask you, I mean, why... From your observation, is Harvey Weinstein just now facing repercussions for these allegations? I mean, after decades of essentially getting away with it, what's changed?
3: We're in a really different time. Um, I think this is something that even maybe like a year ago, you wouldn't have seen people coming out like this. Um, But I think the good thing is that, in, you know, I think one of the unexpected consequences of um, uh, pushback from the election and everything is that people are much more active. They're much more woke and and they're much more aware of what's going on in the world around them and much more willing to listen to, uh, to victims and to speak up. And so, you know, we're at a time now where people feel a lot safer coming out. And of course, when one domino falls, the rest fall. So, you know, you mentioned uh, Harry Knowles and, you know, and Andy senior. And before that it was uh, everything with Alamo draft house and Devin Farachi and, you know, the, the Alamo draft house was the thing that really kind of, um, I think it was the first domino to fall where it came out that, you know, a lot of people had known for years about certain people, um, not quite, not nearly to the extent that, uh, uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein, but, but uh, misconduct and sexual harassment and assault and hadn't really done anything about it. And, So I think that's emboldened other victims of other men to come forward and and other men, you know, that corroborate these stories to say, hey, yeah, you know, this is is also happening.
1: I can remember very clearly, uh, you know, something as recent as the Bill Cosby uh, trials Mm -hmm. and how that all went down. There was a lot of blaming the victim. And it just, are you saying that like, maybe we're getting to a point where people are starting to actually believe the victims and not immediately, uh, consider the men innocent without any consideration.
3: You know, it's hard to say, it's hard to say whether or not there are more people that believe victims or if it's simply that those people that believe victims are willing to state publicly that they believe those victims instead of being quiet, because we still do see a lot of, um, well, why didn't they speak up before this? Why didn't they say something before this? Uh, Donna Coran, you know, she came out and she was like, well, what were they wearing? I mean, really? It, really? So there's still a lot of that. We saw Lindsay Lohan was saying she felt bad for Harvey Weinstein. Um, so there's still a lot, of, a lot of it that exists. A lot of people, I, I don't know that necessarily it's that more people fully believe victims when they come out but I think it's a combination of that more people who have always been prone to believing victims first and foremost are willing to uh, be vocal about it. And I also think that as more and more stories like this come out, um, something that I'm running into a lot, not just professionally, but personally is a lot of my male friends. And it's a sentiment that I've seen expressed among a lot of guys, even really good guys. Um, that are trying to be great allies and trying to be aware they're shocked when women myself included tell them stories about everyday harassment or misconduct or stories, you know, that are much darker. They cannot believe this happens, but I think what they're finding is that as more women are being, um, you know, uh, are comfortable enough to come forward and tell their stories, it's really hard to deny that this is a pervasive problem when so many women have the same kind of stories. And further, there's no shock when we tell it because it's just such a part of our daily lives. So something that seems shocking to men because they've, it's literally the first time they're hearing about it. It's stuff that women have been dealing with for years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I can... Completely understand that if you want to believe that people are basically good, it can be un- inconvenient, to say the least, to try to wrap your head around the fact that that's uh, probably not the case. Or depends on how you look at it. But uh, you know, it's it's clear at this point. I mean, by all indications, this was an open secret in Hollywood. I um, mm-hmm. just saw Seth MacFarlane. Uh, you know, he had that infamous joke he made at the Oscars in 2013 and he mm-hmm. came out on Twitter and he actually explained it and said that a uh, one of the victims confided in him uh, what had happened with Weinstein. And he used the joke and cl- immediately people went after him and said that he should have come forward. And hit, I remember the victim actually replied in, in that same thread on Twitter that she confided in him. And why are people expecting him to betray her trust? And so I, I'm curious about that. I'm also curious, like, should we assume that Hollywood as a whole kept this as a, a secret, an open secret to protect the women, uh, maybe in some cases? Or was it because they didn't have evidence leading the libel or slander like you alluded to? Or is that any of that being too generous?
3: Um You know, it's, it's, it's hard because people, I think when something like this is so pervasive, people want to be able to wrap their heads around it. And the fastest way to do that is to really simplify it or make it very black and white. I don't think you can, you can break something down that simply. I think in some cases there were men who let it happen because they had the same, uh, proclivities and tendencies, but Harvey Weinstein took some of the focus off of them. I think there were some that probably, uh, you know, engaged with with Harvey in in different scenarios. Um, you know, by all accounts, Harvey conducted most of this um, behind closed doors in private quarters. But so I'm I'm not going to say that there aren't men and women, uh, but mostly men who you know didn't enable this. But he also Weinstein also people have to understand how much power he had, especially. Uh, you know, a decade or two ago, right around the time that a lot of these allegations were coming out, uh, or, uh, or happened. Um, he had enormous control and influence and it's really hard for somebody, even if they know if a friend told them or whatever, one, you can't really go on record speaking out against somebody like Harvey Weinstein, if you're a low level executive or, you know, an actor or actress trying to break into the industry you'll get crushed. It's, it's print or it's libel, uh, slander. Um, especially if the victims themselves aren't willing to corroborate your story because you have no evidence to back it up. And then your career is destroyed, your reputation is destroyed, and you no longer have the ability to be in an industry and, you know, affect change. Um, it's also hard because again, without that, it's It's nobody's place to out these victims because that's something I think that's getting lost in a lot of this um, a lot of the mess is that these are still sexual assault victims. Um, I know you kept using the word harassment, but I would argue that it very much crossed the line to assault to rape. Mm-hmm. And it's no actor's job to publicly out these stories of these sexual assault, you know, rape victims until they're ready to tell that story. So it's a really de- delicate situation and I think there are a number of factors that all went into the fact that it was so it was so open and everybody knew and most people were horrified by it but they didn't know what to do. It was a very different time. He had an insane amount of power and control. He could destroy careers, lives. Um you know it's hard because if nobody wants to speak out and talk about what he did them personally, it's very hard for somebody else that wasn't there, that couldn't corroborate or witness it, to speak out. And and yeah, and there were just quite frankly awful people who, you know, aided it because it it can, it was convenient for them. So I don't think there's really one issue. You, you mentioned that you, you want to believe people are inherently better than they are. And, and I find myself leaning that way as well, that I want to think that a lot in a lot of cases, the, these people were horrified, but they just didn't know what to do. Um, in that New Yorker piece that and Farrow wrote about it, there was an executive that said pretty much that, like we were all hoping like, you know, we executives like lower level, you know, employees were all hoping this came out earlier, but oh our hands were tied. We, we didn't know what to do. Um, so, so yeah, it's a lot of different factors. I think.
1: I really see what you're saying in terms of just the power that he had and how it can be very difficult to, you know, consider putting your story out there, you know, before you're ready. And in terms of, you know, cause we're also talking about smaller cases, ones where, you know, maybe the person didn't have that much power arguably so mm-hmm. we're thinking of defy media confronted in, in August uh, I don't want to get that incorrect, but I believe mm-hmm. the, the HR yeah. department knew about what was going on, and they only did something when they were frankly publicly embarrassed. Mm-hmm. It was kind; of, it happened out of their control, and only then was Andy Signor uh, removed from Defy Media. So, I mean, where, how do you see that kind of working into the same thing? I and mean, it's a very different situation, mm-hmm. but it is a situation where,
3: um, on that, I can't speculate too much only because yeah, it came out that they it had been brought to their attention a few months ago in August, but it's also possible that they were conducting their own internal investigation into it. Um, and it wasn't that they hadn't planned on doing anything and they only happened to get rid of him when it came out publicly. It, it, I, I don't know. I don't know the backstory there. Um, and I can't say, I don't think anybody that's, you know, doesn't work for that company or have a friend of that company would know. Um, yeah, but I, But I also think that um, in a lot of these situations, I mean, on the other hand, you know that that's the more generous uh, reasoning. On the other hand, Andy was the face of Screen Junkies and Honest Trailers, and it's hard to go, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, get rid of the face of our brand, essentially, um, be because of this, Um, and also I you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to say again. And I I know I'm not really giving definitive answers here, but I think it's because this is such a pervasive situation that it really requires a lot of thinking. And there are no hard and fast rules or answers. Part of it too, is that, you know, people like, well, why didn't somebody see, why did nobody know? How come nobody noticed? Predators don't prey on people in public. They do it behind closed doors and they prey on the weak and the powerless and the ones that are easy to control and scare into silence and a mission. That's why they're the predators. And so, you know, it wasn't like Andy ever did, but he did, you know, in the middle of an office meeting, he did it, you know, via email or messenger or, uh, you know, one on one. And it's the same with all of these men that they're not stupid, they're predators, and they're not going to prey on somebody that they know is going to run right to the nearest outlet and talk about it or tell people they're going to wait and prey on the ones that are brand new in the business that don't know how it works that haven't quite figured themselves out or can stand up for themselves that's why they prey on the 20 year old intern and not someone you know generally like you know older or more established
1: it does seem like accounts of this kind of the sexual assault they're they happen everywhere in every institution, uh, every political affiliation, every industry really, Uh, you know, everywhere from, you know, thinking of the Catholic church in the early two thousands and still ongoing at Washington, DC and Hollywood, everything that tells me that this is a prevalent issue among not just men in power, but simply men in general Uh, far more often. I think it's fair to say than the reverse with women. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what can all of us, especially men, especially a lot of men and, and women who are listening to this, what what can they do to make any sort of difference in stamping this abuse out? Uh, what are what are any actions we can take?
3: There's a lot. I think one is believe women, believe women and victims in general, because Terry Crews uh, came out just yesterday and he described his own story of being uh, molested at a party by an, a different Hollywood executive who who grabbed him by the genitals. Terry Crews is a 240-pound black man. If he can be, you know, abused and feel ashamed and feel guilty and not speak up because he didn't think anybody would believe him, imagine how your five-foot-tall, 105-pound woman feels, you know? And so, um, so I won't say necessarily just believe women, but I will say, you know, mostly women, um, but believe victims. Nobody gains anything by coming out and admitting to sexual assault or rape you know, very, very rarely there's the whole crap about like, well, what about false allegations and accusations? When have we seen like the first reaction to people is, well, why does she wait so long? Well, what was she wearing? Well, how did she lead him on? Well then why does she star in his movies? Why didn't she say something? We've seen that with Harvey Weinstein. So I I would say number one is believe victims when they come out. Um, two, I think a lot of it is the problem is that, um, you know, you, you said it's not men in power, but I would disagree because I think even at, you know, a, an outlet or, or something like Andy Senor, that was still he was still in a position of power to that woman, to those girls, those interns. He wasn't on the level of Harvey Weinstein. No. But in his little sphere, he was still the one in charge, the one that had all the power in that context, in that situation. Um, so I think another big part of it is more women in positions of leadership more women in executive roles, more women that are able to directly influence the culture of a company from the top down. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, listing the victims, more women in, in positions of power and influence. And a big part of it too, is, is also just changing the culture of just women. It's toxic, toxic masculinity where women are looked at as objects to be one and, you know, objects that men are entitled to and not people worthy of respect in and of themselves. So it's it's changing that that mindset as well, especially in an industry like Hollywood, where the physical beauty of someone is a commodity as much as their talent or their skill, especially for actresses who basically, you know, once they hit past age 35, try good luck trying to get a movie role, you know, you're past your expiration date. And if you're not beautiful, then it's hard for you to roll as well. It's not fun to talk about, but I know a lot of us, you know, you, as you know, as you well know, have been, That's all we've been talking about in the last few weeks and it's not fun and it kind of makes you sick to your stomach and angry and frustrated, but it's a conversation I think that is long overdue and something that will continue to have over the course of months, if not years, I think, but that's what ha- that's what has to happen to change you know an industry that's kind of been built on sexism from the start.
1: Let's do our mini reviews. Uh, we have some great stuff to talk about. Uh, starting with the Myrowitz stories, new and selected. Uh, Will I, I? I'm bummed you didn't get to check this one out in time.
0: I am it. too because I've heard nothing but great things, especially about Adam Sandler's performance.
1: Well, I'll say I I don't love the movie quite as much as most critics. Actually, I was kind of surprised hmm. by that. So I saw surprised the movie. Well, I, I saw the movie like around the time when the first reviews were coming out, and okay, I I I really like it. Uh, so this is a a, a comedy drama dramedy. Uh, it was written directed by Noah Baumbach, who I love his work. I I, I really do. I love. Uh, you know, he he's a big reason why Greta Gerwig is now writing and directing films. You know, like he really like has elevated her as an indie darling. And uh, I love uh, his last film was uh, While We're Young, I believe, and uh, that was one of my favorite movies of 2015. Oh really? I think huh. I think he does a great job uh, directing Ben Stiller, uh, who is in this movie, The Meyerowitz Stories, and. I mean, this this movie, it, it stars Adam Sandler, Dustin Hoffman, Elizabeth Marvel, Emma Thompson. I mean, so many great actors. And they're, they're just these dysfunctional, you know, there's a, it's a dysfunctional family, and they're kind of dealing with each other's drama. It's a blended family. And the, the big takeaway for Marowitz is adam sandler's performance because you expect dustin hoffman and ben stiller and elizabeth marvel to be really good you just do like at this point even with stiller i think he's proven himself to be a compelling actor at least half the time so like when he stars in a movie like this yeah in a Bombak film he's gonna be good i think uh greenberg probably proved that yeah and uh probably one of his
0: best performances in greenberg i'd say
1: and you know, uh, this movie kind of is in the same boat as Greenberg for me, where I, I really respect it. I really appreciate it as a movie. I, I don't think it's really all that great. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, the, the movie itself is, uh, like I said before, it's about a group of siblings. So, Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, and Elizabeth Marvel are these three siblings who they kind of live in their dad's shadow. Uh, their dad is Dustin Hoffman's character, who is this like, you know, he's a sculptor, you know, this artist who never quite really made it. Like he peaked in his career at a point where like he's still known in the art community. He reached some success, but like you see it in like his cut like Judd Hirsch plays uh, a contemporary artist who did actually hit that success. So the film kind of shows you the disparity between the two these two guys who are friends. And um I should also say there are a lot of other actors in this movie. Uh Grace Van Patten, uh who I think this is her I think this might be her first film, plays Adam Sandler's daughter and Adam Sandler is, by the way, is like this. uh, He's this musical. He was a musical prodigy, and like his dad, like he just never quite like took it anywhere. Uh, He was far less successful than his father, though, to be clear. And you kind of watch his struggle as like he's the oldest sibling. He and his sister, um, they have their own mother. And Ben Stiller's character, you kind of watch these siblings reconnect um, and kind of deal with like a lot of their past demons. You see Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman just go at each other uh emotionally and it's it's a lot of drama it's a lot of interesting humor um and i think that uh i think most people will really dig it i i I just think that it's a great ensemble uh i don't want to give away some of the cameos but it's one of those movies you know it's it has a very interesting structure where everything's separated out into chapters it it has like these great performances and it it's a good runtime it it Kind of a, uh, it, it's a bit like Return of the King in terms of how many endings it has, but uh, it mostly works. <laughs> right. The thing that really holds it back for me, and I think, I think why I disagree with some critics on this, I, I think that it does a poor job with Elizabeth Marvel. You know, you have this third sibling who the movie just consistently remember, like ignores her. And I think that's what they were going for is like, she's kind of this mousy, quiet character and she gets like a micro chapter and she everything about her always funnels back up to the two leads, uh, Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler. And I, I just think that like she's like this missing ingredient that really would have made this movie one of Bombach's best. But as it stands, I think it's one of like it's in the middle of his filmography, which is not saying mm-hmm. anything negative. I, I think that that's an achievement. I think Bombach's a great f- uh, filmmaker. And uh, I absolutely think—I mean, the fact that it's on Netflix, it's a must-watch. And I, the things that you're hearing about Adam Sandler giving a really good performance, totally, totally accurate. I—I—I I, I could see him getting some Oscar buzz for it. I don't think it's—I don't think it's really the best performance of the year or anything. I, I don't think that he could win an Oscar for this, but I do think it is impressive that he is—you know—he's doing this without playing too much against type. Because you're watching, you might be thinking, oh, so it's Adam Sandler doing something totally different. It's not really. It's kind of the evolution of Adam Sandler. You recognize the actor in this, but he disappears. Uh, you know, we always say that on Cinemaholics. It, it is a hallmark of a good actor. It's like, you forget the actor on screen. And you do that with Adam Sandler, but you also see his strengths. I mean, he's built up a halfway decent filmography over the past couple decades. You know, I, I think his last really good movie... I, I mean, not everybody agrees. This is really good, but I really liked Funny People. I think totally there might agree. be like I think there might be like one movie in between. I'm forgetting that he's done that wasn't that bad. But I mean, that was eight over years me? ago. Rain over me was before that. I'm trying to think like oh, between, between now and Funny People.
0: But... Uh, and let me, did you like Men, Women, and Children? Some people did. I didn't really care for. Yeah, it. I didn't care for that movie either. Yeah, I mean, I think weak. he is very good in that film. I just think the film itself is pretty almost laughably bad about warning us about the internet. I think even I, Maverick made would, a joke about that at one point, like about Jennifer Gardner's character.
1: I would carry that over to Sandy Wexler, you know, a movie that I liked a bit more than you guys. And oh yeah, the, that's right. <laughs> and even then, I think that that like this is obviously a more serious performance, and it works a lot better. And uh, Punch Drunk Love, if we're talking about, yeah, so one of my his favorite, favorite movies. movies. Like, yeah, the guy, the guy has talent. It's just that like, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't always get the chance to utilize well, it. He's kind of, you know.
0: I think he is someone who can act, he just doesn't always choose to act, or at least maybe, or I'll put it this way, maybe he doesn't always get the chance to prove his talents like you were saying. Like, he yeah. has proven, like... Could
1: be his fault, could be someone else, I don't know.
0: I don't know, I mean, like he's written most of his own films, and I mean, I think he has made a comfortable brand for himself in The Happy sure. Gilmore. So, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like he's like a victim here, I think he's chosen the life he wants to live, and that's something that's explored pretty much in Funny People. But I could uh, but, see
1: like Hollywood sort of rejecting him, and like you know filmmakers like Bombach, you know, not right, yeah.
0: working with him because they
1: don't take him seriously. I could see that too.
0: And I think that he understands that now, and I think he's at a point where he's like middle age. He can't really play Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison anymore. I mean, he can to an extent, but not really like in Just a way trying. that that not he he's not that actor anymore. So I think he understands that he has to get into these more mature, you know. uh... It's like you're saying, I think this movie, from what I've heard, is playing with his image in a way that is familiar but at the same time kind of different. So I guess it's like the third chapter of his kind of evolution. Like with Punch Drunk Glove and Funny People, they did similar things; and they took in different directions. So I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see this one. If not only for Abigail's performance, just because I do like know Bomb Back a lot. What would you say is your favorite film? Of his I was going to ask you that before.
1: My favorite, um, well, it would have to be is probably Francis Ha.
0: Okay, Francis, that's that's yeah. good. That's um, probably my favorite, too. Or I really Kicking dug that one.
1: It, it's any any film he's done with Greta Gerwig, <laughs> basically. Okay. Did
0: you like Kicking and Screaming, though?
1: Oh, sure. That's a really I, good one. Yeah. It, honestly, like there aren't a lot of films of him that I don't like.
0: Um, yeah, I think okay. the only one I don't really care for is Margaret at the Wedding, which I think was kind of a missed opportunity, but it, it, had, a good, bad, though. it had a good Jack Black performance. I'll give it that much. And yeah. a good Nicole Kidman performance. Uh, all right. So, yeah, I'm yeah. excited to see this one. And I'm a little bummed that you didn't love it, but I'm definitely excited to see it nonetheless. I did like it a lot. I gave
1: it a B. Okay. Uh, cool. A very solid B. And uh, like I said, it's on Netflix. I, I absolutely yeah. recommend it, especially if you're an Adam Sandler fan. Um, but if you're even a Dustin Hoffman fan, I mean, these are all great performances. They're yeah. all good reasons to check it out. But okay, Will Ashton. You saw something else, a new original movie, another new original movie on Netflix <laughs> called The Babysitter. And this is one that's not been on my radar. Uh, walk us through it. <laughs> uh,
0: there's probably a good reason for that. Uh, <laughs> this is a new film from another auteur, uh, McGee. Oh, I'm being facetious, of course. Uh, McGee. Transformers
2: G, you, Refueled?
1: You Mick mean uh,
0: Terminator or, uh, Salvation, I think, right? Oh,
1: whatever it was. I don't <laughs> know.
0: He combined all three different place. franchises with that one. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. Terminator Salvation, which I guess is his best film, because he also made Charlie's of- Angels one and two, and he also made that awful uh, romantic comedy This Means War with Reese Witherspoon. And oh, that was Tom so Hardy bad. I was President
1: thinking of that. sorry, I was thinking of a uh, Transporter something, oh, but I may okay. I- maybe he did. Yeah, didn't do I think that, you're thinking yeah. of the
0: the spinoff one that they made, like Refueled or whatever it's called, Transporter Refuel. Yeah,
1: yeah, but that wasn't him. I, I the movie the movie that he did do one of the I only think he produced movies that one. So, did you mention maybe. Did you mention the Duff? The what? The Duff. Well, he didn't direct
0: that one. I think he produced it, though.
1: Uh, did he really? I thought he directed that one. I
0: think the last one, I was looking it up. I think the last movie he directed was Three Days to Kill, like Kevin oh, Costner okay. movie that no one remembers. Uh, my, mistake. my mistake. Yeah, I I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did not direct The Duff, but I mean, I, I wouldn't have want that on my filmography either. So I like uh, that movie a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. I hated I that movie so much. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, it. I mean, I wish we had an episode, I guess we had, I wish I had Simholics when that was on, because that would have been a good one, because I did not like that movie at all. But anyway, The Babysitter. So this is another Netflix release, it went only to Netflix, it didn't go to a film festival like the Mershowitz stories. Uh, it's, I don't know, they're they're promoting it as a horror movie, but it's basically a horror comedy about this teenager who is 12 or 13 years old, but he still has a babysitter, and he's kind of coming into his own. He's picked on a lot. He's generally just misunderstood as a kid, but his babysitter is like the only person that really understands him. They have like a kind of weird like eighties bond where they just like quote a bunch of like eighties and nineties stuff and like watch old movies or whatever. Uh, so he, uh, he kind of has a crush on her, but then he stays up one night and he realizes her and her friends are having this like kind of satanic ritual where they sacrifice one of their friends and they're trying to get his blood for this like, Devil Spawn thing. It's a very weird sort of movie. As you do. And,
2: hmm.
0: Yeah, as you do. Uh and it's one I was actually kind of looking forward to because the trailer I didn't see it in full, but it looked like hey, this might be something that's a little more up my alley than your average Mick G joint. And ultimately, I really wish this script was given to a different director because I think Mick G is a big reason why I don't consider this film a success because hmm. I think his sensibility is too like corny and over the top. And broad for something like this. I mean, the movie is very bloody. It's very, like, juvenile in its approach. Which could work, but I feel like it's also too self-aware for its own good. To the point where it feels like it's more pleased with itself than you could ever be with it. And so, it's more tedious than enjoyable. And, I mean, like, there are a couple good deaths in here. I think the performances are really good. Especially from Samara Weaving, who does play the titular babysitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, overall, I just... I don't know. This one kind of just bum me out because i wanted it to be kind of good i wanted mcg to have one good film on his directorial resume but i'm afraid this is a close but <laughs> no cigar uh film for him so i'm gonna give it a c plus
1: uh, it's interesting that the there's a lot of the same cast from the duff and uh you know well, i Bella actually Thorne,
0: i guess and uh scott or robbie robbie was amel he? yeah amel,
1: yeah it. uh it, it is very interesting and this was uh I was just looking it up. Um, You know, this script, I mean, they've been, they shot this movie years ago. Really? And yeah, they shot it in uh, two years ago, October 2015. And it's just been kind of like on the burner. And before that, it was on the blacklist of like the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. So clearly, they didn't know what to do with this one. And that that sounds like that was a shame.
0: I mean, like I said, I think it's a pretty good script. I mean, I I could definitely see a better film in here. And I think it's like one of those films that like, I don't know if it needed just mcg away from it or if it needed even another rewrite but it it's like almost there like it works at times but it just doesn't quite fit and so i can understand why netflix might have been holding it on because i mean i think there's an audience for it i think if you like really like absurd 80s inspired movies that like, like the of,
1: babysitters club or yeah stuff like that or don't babysitter tell me. 2003
0: or uh, what's it, Those Don't ones. Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead or Adventures in Babysitting and all that stuff. <laughs> um yeah. Although I'd say tonally this is a little more in line with The Sitter, the Jonah Hill movie. Uh, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I mean, it's not a terrible movie. Like, I think someone could watch this and not be, like, bored by it. I think it's very stylish. I mean, I think McG definitely knows what kind of movies he likes to make. And they're all visually interesting, at least. But, I mean, yeah, it just doesn't really come together tonally. I just don't think his sensibilities are right for this project. And it's a shame, because, I mean, there are good components in here. They just didn't come together for a good film. Right. So, is Maverick not here anymore?
1: He's right here. He's just, okay. uh, he walked away.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to you, Will. Oh, man. I'm sorry, Maverick. <laughs> um, okay. Last uh, mini-review, and then we'll have to call it an episode. Um uh, mind hunter this is a new hey. series on netflix uh, it was created by joe bennell and uh it's actually based on a book uh called mind hunter inside the fbi's Elite Small crime it. units it's right yeah and it's, it's right interesting here. It? i have
0: it in my hand right now
1: <laughs> the book the book has mind hunter two words but the netflix series shows you it means business by combining the words it's mind hunter no space um <laughs> I, I've really been looking forward to this one since I first saw the trailer. I think it does have kind of a goofy title, but uh, I, I'm usually somebody, who, I, I'm someone who I'm fascinated by the serial killer era, if you want to call it that, you know, the 60s, 70s mm-hmm. and 80s, uh, when police were really starting to like catch on to this phenomenon for the first time, you know, the Manson murders. And, uh, and we should mention, you know, David Fincher directs four episodes out of the 10. Why does he do that many? Yeah, yeah, he oh, wow. directs the first two and the last two episodes, and and his fingerprints are all over this show. That's the first reason you should check it out. Uh, the second reason you should check it out is because what this what this movie does. I mean, and it should be mentioned, David Fincher, of course, directed Zodiac, uh, yeah, I was gonna one say. of my favorite movies. And great movie. I I, I love I love shows that are deconstruct uh, the typical crime procedural. You know the the whole. The NCIS CSI Law and Order I mean I get why people like that stuff I've never found it very interesting I've never found it to be good TV Nor am I. Uh, I really what I really love about this series is that it's first and foremost about criminal psychology and it's showcasing how the FBI was starting to try to understand criminals who are serial killers their motives what makes them who they are and that makes this series just just a, an intellectually interesting watch but also like a beautiful and bleak kind of show so it's set in 1977 and it stars jonathan groff uh who the two things i know him best from are he he voiced one of the characters in frozen and Mm -hmm. he was also a recurring character
0: on the fox show
1: glee here you forget on
0: Mm -hmm. hamilton he was in a a hbo show called looking which is very good
1: oh yeah i've heard of that show i've never gotten into it so it's
0: really good you should check it out it's only like two seasons in a movie but it's it's really good stuff
1: uh, I was hoping for six seasons in a movie, but you know. um,
0: oh man, <laughs> I, uh, I
1: I love Jonathan Groff as an actor, and here he's doing some of his best stuff. I, I think that he 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 really comes off as this complicated, confused but earnest Boy Scout character who wants desperately to try to solve a problem that no one's asking him to fix. So the the main drama around this show is like him competing against or trying to convince. Uh, the FBI, police, everybody in his atmosphere that serial killers are should be taken, uh, at, should be evaluated from a different angle. They all sort of view serial killers as they're born bad. You can't understand them. He wants to get to the root of like what makes a serial killer, uh, you know, the making a murder, you know, like – the the stuff that we're sort of like rooting out in true crime today, and the fact that it's based in the '70s and it's a great period piece at that makes this one of my one of my favorite sh- new shows of uh, the fall season. I, I I'm digging the heck out of it. I watched the pilot, and I immediately watched the second episode right after. I couldn't wait to keep going and uh, binging. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to binge the entire thing, and I, I won't say much more because, like, obviously, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you guys can check this out soon because I, I think that you'll enjoy it as well. Uh, the film, the sorry, the series also stars Bill Tench, Um or sorry, the the show stars Holt McColley. Uh, whose character's name is Bill Tench. Okay. And uh, the main the main actor plays uh, H- this guy named Holden Ford. And I haven't looked into... Will, you would know this better than me, but I, I don't know a lot about the real life stuff here. So I don't okay. know if these are characters that were made up or if they were based on the book or if the book is kind of like a... Uh, you know What's the name again? Uh, so Holden Ford is the main character.
0: Okay, because I was trying to think. I think the main character... I mean, I haven't read the book in full yet, but I know that I think the author is like kind of like one of the main characters, so they might have just changed his name.
1: Well, it's a clearly fictionalized thing, and uh, I, I think I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, it's it's the kind of show that like so the, the whole thing is where they they interview serial killers. That's like that becomes a thing, and you know they're trying to understand them. And uh, what I like about that is first of all they this is like introducing the coining of the term serial killers but uh something to warn you guys i mean this is this is a brutal show like it's dark it's it's like zodiac you know Mm -hmm. it it gets gruesome they they talk about cases that are just very disturbing it's not an easy show to watch it's definitely going to it's definitely going to make you think though and it's definitely something that i'm really glad i checked out and i can't wait to keep going so that's all i'll say for now
0: yeah. I mean, I know 100% I'm going to check out this show. Uh Not only, I guess I should say full disclosure, I did some background acting on this show. So, if you guys see me, let me know.
1: That's right. So, it was filmed in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it was
0: filmed in Pittsburgh. So, it was filmed in my neck of the woods. So, I hope they made it look nice. I know they were filming here for a long time and I got to be in the background for two episodes. So, I'm eager to see it, if not only for that, just because I think this is going to be a really good show, like you said, and I am think it's going to be a Another great hit for Netflix. So yeah,
1: I think so. And I forgot to mention too, and the the show was executive produced by not only David Fincher but also Charlize Theron. Yeah, I was going to say so, yeah, Charlize yeah. Theron
0: produced it. So that's good. Didn't she also do that for uh, Girl Boss too? You know, we we don't talk about Girl Boss. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, we'll one of the few it, Netflix anything. shows that got canceled.
1: I mean, there've been one. a few, but as quickly as it did, sure.
0: Yeah, well, I think there's been like been four excellent. that got canceled. Uh, there was that. There was um, what's it? Well, Sense Eight well, got canceled, and then I think they decided to make a movie of it after after fans protested. Mm. Uh, a couple others, I think, got canceled. But yeah. Yep. Yep. Um.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well that'll do it then for us on Cinemaholics thanks so much for listening as always and uh, if you love our show and you want to keep hearing from us don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, Stitcher wherever you do podcasts and come hang out with us on our Facebook page Cinemaholics and that's where you'll get the most recent episode updates and you can just find out what we're up to and that's always fun and we have Twitter you can do that mm-hmm. too uh, just CinemaHawks. Just find us at CinemaHawks. That's all you have to do. Um, but okay, that'll do it for us this week. From the Internet, California, I'm John Negroni.
0: From the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashen.
2: And from the broadband basement,
1: hey, I'm Hey, he's Crouch. back.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: See you next time.